Hello, everybody, and welcome to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. My name is Adam Homey. I'm your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to join us today. As the name says, our listeners are business creators, and they fall into one of four different categories. They could be entrepreneurs, small business owners, and local business owners. We could have marketing and business coaches. We have folks who help others build their businesses and manage their marketing. And then on the other side of the coin, we have the do-it-yourselfers who just love having your own hands on the levers as you grow your business. If you are one or more of the above, please take a moment, explore episodes, and discover how our guest experts can help you win at the game of business and marketing at www dot business creators radio show dot com also check us out on itunes just do a search for business creators radio show make sure to subscribe our feed is updated every week every five star rating is greatly appreciated and helps us serve more business creators just like you one of the main trending topics on business creators radio show for those of you who've been listening for a long time you may notice that our topics and our experts tend to fall into one of several different tracks and we have a very high trend rate when it comes to topics around public speaking. We've been very excited to bring in a number of guest experts around speaking from the stage, how to sell from the stage, how to get speaking engagements. And what I'd like to do now is I'd like to take this to a slightly different angle on that same topic. And we're going to talk about how to rock your talks for smart workshop leaders. Because here's the thing, leading a workshop can be a fun and rewarding experience for both the presenter and the attendees. And I have two clients of my own who regularly host live events. We have one who hosts an event on business creation and one who hosts an event on persuasion. Now, if you do these incorrectly, you can find yourself in an audience that is bored, uninterested, and won't be back for a repeat performance if they even manage to stay till day three. And you really want them to stay till day three because that's typically where you make your offer that you're going to make to your audience. So what we're going to do today is we are going to bring in Ida Schessel, who's going to help us avoid three big blunders that even smart workshop leaders make that can discourage your audiences from coming back. And instead, we're going to turn this around and we're going to give you the makings for a money generator with repeat requests to present. Now, just to tell you a little bit about Ida, she is the go-to expert in the design and delivery of workshops and talks, and she is the creator of Rock the Room programs. She's worked with people around the world, teaching them and coaching them on how to confidently create and present workshops and talks to create raving fans. She has over 30 years of experience as a facilitator, author, and speaker, including 15 years with an award-winning seminar company whose Fortune 500 clients called her back again and again. Ida Schessel has degrees in both psychology and adult education and is based in Toronto, Canada. So how are you doing today, eh? <laughs> I'm doing great, eh? We have, <laughs> Thanks very much. We have, we have a large audience in Canada, and I love our Canadian listeners, so I really like to have a sense of humor about things. I'm so happy that you were able to take a few moments out of your day to join us here. Now, uh, I just read off your official bio, and it's very impressive. In fact, I'm really not sure I belong on the same air length as you because you so far surpassed me. But, uh, but, uh, but uh, seriously, what I'd like to do is sort of take a moment here for a second. And let's just take a step back and give those of our listeners who may not have heard of you yet a chance to get to know you a little bit. So just tell us a little bit about your background and what brought you to where you are today. 
Okay, well, thank you very much for the question. Um, as you mentioned, I do have over 30 years of experience as a facilitator, a speaker, an author. Um, but long, long before that, and very early in my career, I was working in the corporate environment. And when I was first asked to give talks and workshops, the experience was really stressful. It was really embarrassing. I certainly wasn't rocking any rooms, I can tell you that. I, and I didn't know anything about engaging an audience, creating any kind of a dynamic experience. And I would do what most people do when they're first learning anything. They copy what they see other people do. And right. uh, that, that was really just dumping a bunch of information on the group, showing them a few dry slides, and then asking if there were any questions. And, of course, there never were any questions. And, Adam, you can probably guess why. Yep. Um, <laughs> you and, and the listener on the call have probably been to far too many of the same type of event where you walk out at the end thinking, that was deadly. And uh-huh. everyone in the room was suffering from what I now call tego, their eyes glaze over. That's one of my favorite expressions. Tego, their eyes glaze over. Okay. Yeah. Uh, everybody listening, <laughs> write that down. Tego, their eyes glaze over. We do not right. want tego on our spaghetti. We want prego. Yeah, there you go. I'll get back <laughs> to spaghetti too later. Oh, nice, nice. So I was feeling stressed, and I was really embarrassed, and I was thinking, wow, I'm wasting everybody's time, and I could really feel in my gut that no one was going to be lining up to come back for more, and I was discouraged. After all, I mean, I wanted people to be excited about my sessions. I wanted them to to sign up. I wanted to rock the room. And so I started to do some research, a lot of it. Some of it was at the library, yeah, years ago before the Internet. Right. I also did research with mentors and experts and tried out lots of techniques. And some worked really well and others not so much. Um, So, you know, always going back to the drawing board many, many times. And matter of fact, I even went back to university to do a master's degree in adult education because I felt that that would be of help to me as well in trying to understand my audience. Um, I then became an instructor actually at a local college and then, luckily, a couple of years later, I had the opportunity to become a consultant for an award-winning seminar company, and that was fantastic. I was with them for 15 years, and I designed and delivered their workshops, and their clients were all Fortune 500 companies, you know, companies like Microsoft and GlaxoSmithKline and Allstate and many more, and these workshops were all train-the-trainer, so I got to learn as I taught In other words, we were teaching instructional design and delivery, and all this experience taught me many, many lessons. So since then, I mean, I've been lucky enough to help thousands of people around the world, and I'm actually on a mission to continue to share what I know to help business people uh, grow their businesses with talks and workshops so that they can rock the room and so that they can attract clients who love the learning experience they're getting and keep coming back. That's great. And I can tell you that we, you are touching on some of the pain points that I see all the time with workshops and seminars and live events, which are a key component for building your business, uh, whether it's an offline business or an online business. And I know what it's like myself to be in front of a room and have people staring back at me. 
I had it happen to me once where fi- where I said finally and in conclusion and they applauded. Now this is a long time ago, and just through sheer experience and sheer learning, I become a much better presenter. And I'm very proud to say that there are a few events that I am regularly invited to speak at, which is really awesome. And I like to have some fun up on stage, and I do some things that shock people. And I found that it tends to work very positively. Now, in order to get the positive effect out of that, I've had to really practice, and I've had to work on my tonality, and I've had to work on my presentation. And I'll share one of those with you a little bit later that you may find absolutely hilarious if you don't think that I'm probably need to be committed for saying it. So we'll get to that in a moment. But uh, I look here, forward to it. But, our, but those of uh, who listen to the Business Creators Radio Show regularly can already hear the drum roll because they know what I'm going to ask next. So here it goes. Here in the Business Creators Radio Show, we provide the tools, techniques, and strategies to help entrepreneurs quickly grow their businesses. And a lot of our listeners tell me they have everything they need to implement anything that any guest expert says they need to do except for time and money. This is a variety, excuse me, this is a question we ask every expert who appears on our show. And what I like is not only the variety of different answers, but also the variety of ways the question is interpreted. So how do time and money impact this whole thing about rocking your workshops. And I will let you know, Ida, that uh, we do have sort of a groundswell here. My cat just jumped up on the table. She wants to hear this too. (laughs) All right. Well, there's certainly, uh, when it comes to workshops and talks, they save time and they generate money. And here's what what I mean by that, is that workshops are a really valuable business tool for marketing and getting clients. First of all, uh, when it comes to getting clients, there's nothing like seeing a person in action. It's far more credible than just hearing someone say, oh, they're really good at what they do. Because when I present at conferences or even, for example, at Rotary Club meetings, people start to get, me, get to know me. That's the know, like, and trust factor that's so important in business. So do I sound credible? Do they like my style? Do we have chemistry? And an audience can sum that up pretty fast when they see me in action, which means they might want more of me, that's, that's the generating money part. Also, people get a sampling of the quality of the information I provide. Is it valuable? Is it something they can use right away? And even more importantly for marketing purposes, is this something they want more of or even is this something they see themselves recommending to others? And then lastly, in terms of the time, again, time and money, is that when you present to groups, it's really economical because we know that one-on-one is very time-consuming whether it's sales or coaching or consulting. But if you're presenting talks or workshops, you're actually taking care of economies of scale. You can make a far bigger difference in the world with the same amount of preparation and work that it would take for a one-on-one session. So you've got more people in the room saving time from the one-on-one. And if you do a good job, you also generate money in the sense that you um, engage them in such a way that they're going to keep coming back and buying more of what you have to offer. That's great. That's great. Because the last thing we want is a boring workshop that doesn't make us any money. I mean, uh, otherwise, why would you put the time in? So I really appreciate that. Um, What I'd like to do here is jump ahead a little bit is um, let's start from the very bottom of the spectrum here. We have so many experts out there that conduct workshops for their clients or prospective clients. In fact, we've had other people on the Business Creators Radio Show who talk about that very same topic, conducting workshops for your clients or prospective clients. And we had one in particular on how to 
make big money off small events, which I thought was a really great presentation. So you have all these people in the room. Uh, you did all the work. You went out there. You did the marketing. You bought the advertising. Uh, you emailed your list to death until they finally said, all right, all right, all right, I'll register. I'll be there. And then you answered their questions about where's the hotel 37 times in two weeks. And finally, you got them all in a room. And uh, everything's lined up real nicely. You have your videographer there. You have this dream. You're going to also sell $40,000 in product off the back end to your list who couldn't show. And everything is coming together so nicely. But then the people in the room glaze off. You don't get repeat business from them. What are some of the blunders that happen there? I think there are at least three that you were going to tell me about. Yes. Yes. Thank you for that question. There are three blunders that really discourage participants from coming back. So the first one that I want to talk about, first blunder, is ignoring audience needs. So what does that mean? Well, adults have learning needs. In other words, conditions that they need, want, and like in order for them to learn effectively. Now, why is this so important? Well, if you don't satisfy the learning needs, you don't create a connection with your audience. And I've had participants in my workshops say, I love standing up in front of people and talking. Right. Wow. <laughs> the, the, um, it's, this is like an uh-oh statement to me because <laughs> it, it, it's like it reflects an all-about-me perspective. If they love talking, it kind of signals to me this is going to go on and on and on. So I got a quick survey question for you, Adam, and for the people, uh, for the person listening. Who's the most important person in the room? Is it the speaker or the attendee? If you ask Paul Anka, the only person that matters is the speaker. But, um, but I think for everybody else, it's the people in the room. Yes, exactly. It's the attendee. Because without the attendee, uh, presenters, seminar leaders, workshop leaders would be talking to themselves in an empty right. room. And I know when you're standing at the front of a group, when all eyes are on you, it feels like it's all about me. And even some of my participants have said to me, well, people come to hear me speak. That's why they're here. So let me kind of give you a different perspective, is that they're not actually coming to hear you speak. They're actually coming to learn something from you. And that's a different perspective. That's coming from where where the participant or the audience member is at. So we want to set them up to do that successfully. So how do we do that? How do, how do we avoid this blunder? I've got a, another quick little exercise that I do in my workshops that I'd like to invite you to do. I'd like to invite the listener to do. And I'm going to take you on a short mental field trip down memory lane. Uh, willing to play with me? Oh, all day long. Okay, great. So there's going to be two stops on this trip. And our first stop... I'd like you to think back to a really good course that you attended as an adult. So you were sitting in the audience, could have been a you know, face-to-face classroom that was, uh, could have been recent, could have been long ago. What made it such a good course so successful? Was there something about the instructor or the activities or the environment that made it such a good course? All right. Oh, you want me to answer that? Yeah. Okay. I will. I can tell you there's a couple things that really come to mind. I'm thinking of a couple different events. The first is, and this is a very challenging balance for presenters to strike, is the idea where 
it's not just rote lectures. You're not just listening to them drone on and on and on and on. So eventually you get tired and start daydreaming like I, like I will. But at the same time, it's dynamic. It's participatory. But you're not forced to interact with other people more than it may be comfortable for some people. All right. So you've hit the nail on the head. And that's what all the participants in my workshop tell me when I ask the question is that they liked variety. Right. Um, they liked interaction. They liked engagement. When we talk about variety, it could be the activities. It could even be the media that's used. It could be the speakers. Um, people also tell me that the course was maybe fun, that they had a chance to discuss, or they had a chance to practice, or maybe even solve a little case study or a scenario. But like all those kinds of things that relate to what you said. So that's what people have told me about courses that they like. Now, the second stop on our mental field trip uh, is probably a little easier to remember because most people remember really bad courses that they attended. So again, think back to a really bad course that you attended as an adult. Uh, what was it about the environment or the uh, activities or the instructor that made it so unsuccessful and so bad. Adam, do you have one that you can remember that was really bad? I can think of a couple that are really bad. So, it, so I'm going to kind of take these two things and put them together. Um, there was one where the presenter, it was it was a guest presenter at a seminar. Uh, part of his way of closing people for the back of the room was to say bluntly that he didn't care whether they whether you bought from him or not because he would work with people who uh, wanted to pay him and to hell with everybody else. He said it in pretty much those words. And I found it amazing that people still ran to the back of the room because I was out of there. I'm thinking, when's the time for the break? Um, and in general, in general, I find that when you get off schedule, maybe this is just me, but when things get off schedule, that it really puts me in a situation where I tune out. Uh, I make it a game with myself. I make it a mission with myself to avoid meetings whenever possible and to avoid in-person meetings even more. So if you've gotten me to come into a room and sit with you and there's a specific reason I'm supposed to be there, you tell me that we're going to be there for an hour or 90 minutes or two hours. Let's just use the one hour, for instance. At the 61st minute, I turn you off. Mm-hmm. If, even, yeah. I mean, even if I continue to sit there only because it would be blatantly impolite for me to just grab my stuff and storm out of there, at the 61st minute, uh, I don't hear a word you say. Because you asked me for an hour, I gave you an hour, and I really have given you the hour, and uh, i that's how much time I allocated to you. So everything after the 60 minutes, I cut it off. So when if a speaker goes over... And the part of the part of where they go over is the part where they start making their pitch. I'm automatically not going to buy whatever it is they're selling. If they are continuing to make points, suddenly their points make less value. If they have insights, then I think their insights are boring. Now, because you've wasted that, my time. Right. Interesting. Both the things that you just said said illustrate disrespect for the audience member. One yeah. was the the kind of rude attitude that the first speaker. Uh, had the second one was going off schedule. Both of them illustrate disrespect, and the audience members don't like that. Other things that have made, um, you know, for bad courses are things like reading from their notes. I've seen speakers do that, not giving people opportunities to ask questions, mm-hmm. sitting for too long without a break, going off on tangents, just in general, not being interested in the audience. So, what you're saying 
falls very much in line with what I've heard from, uh, from all of my participants. So to avoid this blunder of ignoring the audience's learning needs, you need to think of yourself as a member of your audience. What do you personally need, want, and like? And just like we did in this exercise together, to, to think back and remember this exercise, because chances are your audience likes many of the same things that you do. So right. when you're planning your talk, you want to be sure to keep all these things in mind and not ignore them. Um, now, we recognize we can't make our participants happy all of the time, but you can make everybody in the audience happy some of the time. So don't ignore the participants' learning needs. That's the first blunder. Right. So you still have two more blunders for us, and I uh, want to kind of shock our people into awareness here a little bit so they do better workshops. So lay it on us, Ida. All right. So the second blunder that even smart workshop leaders make that discourages their participants from coming back is going to be a bit of a surprise to people. It's focusing preparation entirely on platform skills. So what do I mean by platform skills? When you're a participant sitting in the audience, platform skills are the things that you see and hear from the person at the front of the room. So it's their delivery, their performance, their acting skills, if you will. And there are two parts to that. There's the voice, things like you know pitch and emphasis and volume, and even things like filler words like ums and ahs and monotone, all that. And then the second part is body language, and that includes, of course, energy, eye contact, hand and arm movement. Um, and so these two things together, the voice and the body, can uh, combine to make platform skills. So the reason this might be a surprise to people is, well, isn't that important? I mean, you know, a person who's energetic at the front of the room. But platform skills are actually all about the presenter, pushing the message out in as entertaining a fashion as possible. And yes, people expect some sort of entertainment these days, and right. don't get me wrong, energy at the front of the room is super important. You don't want to be standing stock still. You don't want them to be talking in a monotone. You don't want to put your audience to sleep. But the speakers are not actually creating an effective learning environment for their audiences. It's another case of all about them at the front of the room. And what they're doing is what I refer to as spray and pray. <laughs> They're spraying the audience, spraying the audience with information and praying that it sticks. And what happens with spray and pray is that the audience is left with the responsibility of remembering the information, figuring out whether it's relevant to them. In other words, uh, the speaker has just put it out there. And if you take it, great. If you don't take it, they don't really care. It's just, you know, up to you to figure out what to do with it. And most people in an audience can't actually figure out what to do with the information, so they don't do anything. Um, Yeah, they've had an entertaining time, and they may have become aware of some new ideas, but they can't remember enough of it to do anything with it. And if your participants don't see the learning value for themselves, why should they come back and pay for something that's just entertainment but not learning? I mean, they didn't sign up for entertainment. They can get that in many other places and in many other ways. Right, very true. So, you know, how do you overcome this blender of focusing too much on your honing your platform skills? Well, there is just one platform skill, one entertainment skill that actually is enormously useful for talks and workshops, and that skill is storytelling, right? People are always fascinated by stories. They sit back, they relax, they become really attentive. And, of course, as we know, stories have been really passed down through the generations 
um, you know, culture, history, religion, all of them stories to teach lessons. And of course, they're much more memorable than, you know, plain information, ideas, you know, statistics, those kinds of things. So people will remember them long after your session. You could run into somebody and say, hey, I remember your story about whatever it was. Right. And one of the great characteristics of stories is that they paint a picture in our minds. And as a matter of fact, I've studied memory techniques with the winner of a Guinness, of a Guinness record for greatest memory. And one of the keys to remembering that he talks about is visualization. People, most people, that is, think and remember in pictures. Mm-hmm. So if you think back to yesterday, let's say last evening, what, how did you spend the evening, Adam? Can, can you tell me one thing that you did yesterday evening? I can tell you a few things I did yesterday evening. Uh, after uh, after a, uh, an exciting day uh, managing a book product launch, I went down to the hot tub for a bit. I came back up. I had dinner. I uh, don't remember what I had for dinner, but I had it. Uh, then I... Uh, then I worked on another launch, and then I kind of sat back and uh, relaxed on the couch, and my cat groomed me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. when, yeah. Problem is, when I go down to the hot tub, I come back, uh, I come back smelling of chlorine, and they feel that I need to have that removed from me. So, uh, so the one cat will get up on my arm and wrap herself around my arm and start biting at me. Oh, I love it. It's so, it's well, so, it's so cute. It's so cute. That much I remember. So tell me, when you thought of the hot tub, this, this, um, this memory that you just uh, relayed to us, did you think of the word hot tub or did you picture yourself, did you imagine yourself in the hot tub, relaxing, enjoying, looking at the steam, that kind of thing? Oh, I certainly imagined the experience. I mean, every, I mean, part of the reason I moved out to Las Vegas, Nevada, so there'd be a lot more warm days to experience this. And I specifically uh, required uh, myself to be living in a community where there's one of those available. Oh, love it. Okay. So you illustrate the exact point that I was making is that most people think in pictures. It's almost like a a story, so so to speak. And so we can use that in our talks and workshops because often like a really vivid story will influence our audience in a way that, you know, plain words and statistics and all that can't. And ultimately, we are trying to influence our participants. We want them to reach the same conclusions that we've reached. Uh, to do what we ask them to do. Um, really, stories are used to achieve a variety of purposes, you know, inform, teach, stimulate thought, to sell ideas, to inspire somebody to action. So it's definitely worthwhile to hone the storytelling skills of your platform skills. Right. Now I think would be as good a time to, as any to mention that thing I said I was going to say earlier. Now, you can imagine being in the line of work that I'm in and what my companies do, that a lot of the presentations that I give um, at events, at workshops, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, are about things like product launches, website conversions, multi-purposing your content, things of that variety. And one thing that I love to do with my audience is explain to them the principles of website conversions, the on-page and the off-page, the three Ps and everything else. And then I will I, – I sometimes do it different ways. Sometimes I'll ask people in the audience, depending on the size of the room and what I'm getting in terms of the vibe, I'll go around and I'll say, you know, what do you think is the absolute worst thing you could possibly have in your marketing for your business? And then you know, they'll give uh, different answers. Or maybe I'll just give the answer – and I'll tell them that the absolute worst thing that you could possibly have going on in your marketing if you want to grow your business is traffic to your website. 
shock. <laughs> that's the whole. That's that's the whole idea. I have gotten reactions. Uh, everything from jaws literally dropping to people thinking I'm certifiable to uh, suddenly notebooks coming out and people jotting things down, wondering, uh, you know, what uh, type of prescriptions are being written for me. But the whole <laughs> point of that is to illustrate the point that if you just follow the herd and you go for push-button traffic to your website, basically what you're doing is you're throwing a lot of money into the gutter. And if you want to throw money into the gutter, why not just throw it to me because I'll use it for something? Uh, it's The importance is to get people thinking about the idea of targeted visitors to their web page that are pre-qualified, prepped, and pumped, and understanding that a website and a web page are two completely different things. And if you juxtapose those terms, you're not going to achieve the type of optimization you're looking for. But I can't. But I can't. But I can't really. Make, yeah, but I can't make that point without shocking people. I found right, right. And shock is important. And as long as you're backing it up, which it sounds like you're doing, then you actually create a real learning because shock. I mean, that's one way that people learn. All of a sudden, they're in, in, into a shocking situation. And right. as long as they they um, understand, you know, the rationale behind it, and you know why why you're saying that, it's a great way to learn. Yes. Yeah, so uh, did we get all three blunders? I think we got all three of them. We got two of them. I've got the the most important one is coming up. Oh, boy. Okay, I better buckle my seatbelt for this one. All right, so it's blunder number three, but it's also the number one reason that people don't come back to someone's workshops or talks, and that is ineffective design. What that means is your talk's not hitting the mark. It hasn't been designed to meet the learning objectives, which are usually ensuring that your participants leave being able to remember and put into practice what you're teaching them. So it actually happens as a result of the first two blunders that I talked about, which are ignoring the learning needs and focusing too much on platform skills. So... Really, I mean, what a mentor of mine always says is that program delivery and who you are is why people buy, but program design is why they stay and they keep coming back. So you might initially attract people to your talks and workshops with your topic and maybe your reputation and your personality, uh, maybe even your books, but if you do an ineffective job during the session, they don't come back. And have you ever been sorely disappointed by a session given by a big-name speaker? I know I have. Oh, that's and... never happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, they they've got that reputation and they've got, you know, whatever whether it's their book or for some other reason, but if they don't give a good session, people walk out thinking, "Oh my gosh, that was deadly." Right. So, the the key here is that learning is not just about taking in information. And what we need to remember is that the people at our talks and our workshops, they're absolutely inundated with new information. It's coming at them from the Internet right. and the TV and billboards as they're driving down the highway. And matter of fact, I saw a recent study that said that people take in 34 gigs of information every day. Right. And, wow, we are up against all that noise, and so we have to break through all that noise and do it in a way that our audiences can remember and use. And as brutal as it sounds, if all we're doing is providing information, they don't really need us. They can actually get that information in so many other ways and so many other places. So the most common thing floating around about 
people and, and learning and, you know, what, what to do when you've got people in front of you, when you've probably heard it too, is some people like to see, some people like to hear, some people like to write things down. But it's how we, that's really all about how we prefer to take in the information. But real good design has to do with helping people process information. That is mm-hmm. the biggest tip that I can give give our our listener is that we need to help people process. Most speakers don't know how to help people do that. Right. And so people leave overwhelmed. They leave at the end and go, oh, my God, we covered so much stuff. I have no idea where to start or what to do with it. And so the imp- our impact is lost because we've just overwhelmed people. So we need to help them process. How do we do that? Well, remember I said earlier I was going to get, going to get back to the spaghetti. Here, nice. Here's my, here's my spaghetti analogy for the, for the hungry people. Um, first of all, we need to think of amount of information, first of all, in our design. So if you think of your course like a pot of spaghetti, okay, so imagine that you've just cooked this big pot of spaghetti noodles and picture yourself doing something really crazy with it. You pick it up and you toss all the noodles against the wall. Splat. <laughs> Got that, that that's like driving traffic to your website. Uh, you're just taking a bunch of noodles and throwing them against the wall. That's one of the analogies I use. Oh, perfect. Yeah. All right. We're on the same, the same track here. Yeah. So, of course, we know that not much is going to stick to the wall. It's, right. Most of it's just going to slide down into this big, messy heat. Right. Um, and so that's what most workshop and seminar leaders do. They just throw all the spaghetti and they hope it'll stick. Right. But, you know, chances are you've been inundated at... at events too, and you didn't know what to do with all the spaghetti that was flung at you. And so you did nothing with it. So imagine instead that if you cook a pot of spaghetti and instead of throwing the whole thing against the wall, you dip your hand into the pot and you throw one noodle at a time against the wall and wait to see if it sticks before you follow it up with the next one. By the time you get even halfway down toward the bottom of the pot, most of the spaghetti will have stuck. And although with this technique, some of the noodles never actually make it out of the pot, but that's a good thing, that your participants receive less spaghetti from you, but more of what you do give them sticks. And so they don't experience that overwhelm, and they actually learn more. So, okay, how do we get it to stick? Well, we need to process. So once we've chosen our key points, we need to help them process. So what does that mean? Well, here's some examples. As I mentioned earlier, people have differing learning needs. And yet, the lecture method actually only satisfies a very few people in the audience. Right. Some people need interaction in order to process information, to to gain the clarity and the understanding. So that means they need to bounce the information, their thoughts around with others. They need to say it out loud. They need to hear how others interpret it. And not just the person at the front of the room, but people you know, sitting beside them. So I'm talking about things like, you know, getting discussion going in small groups with a partner. Um, And you also, though, need to make sure you give them good questions to guide their discussions so they can actually meet the objectives that you've set out for them. Um, There are other people in the room that need thinking time. So they need to do an individual exercise, let's say, um, you know, writing some stuff down so the ideas can roll around in their heads and They can sit there and think about it and massage it and come back with some questions. Uh, Other people in the room are what are referred to as jump-in-and-do-it people. 
They're the people that want to get their hands on it. Don't talk to me. Don't lecture at me. Just let me get my hands on it. Let me experiment. Let me make some mistakes, get some coaching from you. Right. That kind of thing. And then there's even still others in the room who learn best if they apply it to a situation. So in other words, they like case studies. Give them a little case study to solve. Maybe they need to do a little troubleshooting in this case study or some problem solving. Um, And that would be similar to something that they would actually need to do when they go back to work. So all of these that I just talked about are actually processing activities where you get people to work with the information so that they can get it to stick, so that they can see it from different angles, so they can figure out how to use it, because that's what they're coming for to you. They have a problem. They want your help in solving this problem, and the best thing that you can do for them is help them solve the problem by giving them a chance to work on the things that you're teaching them. Right. And I think for all of our listeners, if you caught that right there, you've gotten the full value of our hour together. Although I do want you to stick around for the next 24 minutes because we still have so much more to share that's going to be outstanding. But just knowing that there are different types of consumers in your audience and different ways they want to consume the audience. Cause, and I've seen all kinds. I've seen the types of workshops where the idea is, is you're going to bring your laptop and you're going to get your hands on and you're going to walk out with a business. I've seen the type where you're going to spend most of the time in small groups rehearsing language so they become a more effective salesperson. One of my clients does that and he gets great results from people in the room, but it's for a specific type of person, the type who really wants to play with language, experiment with language, learn language, and develop language, which is not everybody. And then there are the types who uh, want to go and be lectured to the whole time. Believe it or not, there are people that want to be lectured that don't actually want to speak with anybody. And of course, when you get to workshops and events, uh, I see another category that you may or may not have mentioned, the people that are really there just to make friends. Mm, Yes. Yeah. To network. Yes. Yes. Now, let me ask a question about that. Uh, I mean, there is no law. Actually, I have two questions. Here's the first one. There's no law that you can tell people where to sit at any given time. I have seen events where I've seen events where if you show up late for a session, that you have to like do a dance around the room, or you have to make a you know make a an animal sound or something as a way of punishment because you showed up late. And I. Don't I, I do not like that idea. And if anybody tried to do that to me, I would say, well, not only am I late, but I'm gone. See ya. Uh, I, would, I would do that, first off. Now, what we run into a lot is we have these situations where people go to events, and it's in a hotel, and then they're given 90 minutes for lunch. Now, meanwhile, 80 of those minutes are going to be standing in line for one of the three overpriced restaurants that's within any reasonable distance. And if they try and go off campus, it's going to be a 90-minute round trip. So what do you do to make sure people's needs are net and met in terms of their physiological or their psychological needs? Because we've got to eat. Right. Yeah. I definitely believe in lots of breaks. Right. Uh, I know people need breaks. And I've been to sessions where uh, there was a coach leading a mastermind group that I was at, and he said, I don't give breaks. I don't like them. And I thought this. Um, this particular attitude actually violates one of what's referred to as adult learning principles. One of the adult learning principles is that people want to be treated with dignity and respect. Right. And those two examples that you just gave, one of which is insufficient time for for lunch or, or as I mentioned, no breaks, 
And then even the example that you gave around, you know, dancing around the room, making animal sounds as a punishment, both of those violate that adult learning principle that, and that people want to be treated with dignity and respect. Because if you don't, they shut down, they leave, and, you know, that, that's it for your, you know, for any right. credibility you had. That's it for any influence or impact that you wanted to make. It's gone. Right. I, I, yeah, now that's, that, now that's treating people with respect, but what do we do to make sure that other needs are met? I mean, I, now I, I really want to draw out here, and I want our people to hear this. Frequent breaks are important, and I myself, I only have about an hour at any given time. Uh, after an hour, I have to stand up and move around, or, I mean, you know, in like arena-type events, if I'm in a room and there's five or six hundred chairs there, after about an hour, I have to stand, get up and go stand in the back, because that's the only way I can keep things going. Um, and you heard me earlier say what happens when you uh, bring me to a meeting, and the meeting runs even one minute over, because I just don't have time to give other than what I was already asked for. Right. So um, the, the frequent breaks do a couple of things, one of which is, it gives people what are referred to, uh, and people may be familiar with this in neurolinguistic programming, is a pattern interrupt. In other words, you interrupt what, yes. what they've been doing, and that's really important also for processing because the, the mind needs to process. Often when you're learning a skill or learning some things, you take a break, you come back later, you're refreshed, and you can not only learn better, but sometimes you, you, your learning actually speeds ahead because you've had that pattern interrupt. Um, in terms of breaks, though, we, I'd like us to think about breaks in two ways. Yes, some of it is actually, you know, everybody leaves the room and goes and, you know, uses the restroom and gets a cup of coffee and all that. But all, it also has to do with breaking up let's say that hour that you've just spent learning, most people have an attention span of about 10 to 20 minutes. Right. And what that means is you need to have a variety of, of activities within those t- the, that hour, let's say. So those are breaks. For example, let's say you lectured for 20 minutes for the sake of argument. Okay, you lectured for 20 minutes. Then you break it up by then doing maybe a Q&A session where the audience can participate. Or you break it up by giving them a little um, questionnaire or a little exercise to fill out individually. Then you break it up by giving them an opportunity to discuss the answers with their partner before you get back to the large group and take up the exercise. So notice all of those, to a certain extent, are a break because you're breaking away from the activity or the pattern that you were just using. So that's a good thing, too, because people can often go longer than the hour. Generally, I I consider an hour and a half to be maximum. They can go longer because you've broken up it into various different learning activities. Right. And and that is something that we want to think of as well. So it's not always... You know, just exactly, you know, having an event that's a workshop or a boot camp or an interactive experience or a lecture experience, but mixing and matching those different learning styles because most humans need a combination of that. I, you know, you know, you've, you've seen me several times express my inability to commit myself to a meeting for one second longer than was originally asked of me. So imagine me sitting through three hours of lecture, even if it was supposed to be three hours of lecture. You probably lost me after 20 minutes anyway. Yes, exactly. You and many of the people in the room. Yeah, th- yeah. This is this is a fun. This is a funny thing, and I think 
and I thought about this, and this is partially true for me. Uh, you may, after a while, if you're in a lecture type environment or there's a meeting type situation where it's a small group, and you notice that after about 15 or 20 minutes, if the smartphones weren't already out, they are out and people are thumbing at them. And when people <laughs> ask me about this, I say, yeah, it helps me pay attention better. Yes. Uh, people who are kinesthetic learners need to actually be doing something with their hands. Yeah. So that might mean thumbing their, their smartphone. It might mean taking notes. It might mean highlighting uh, certain things in materials that have been handed out. It might even mean, and I've done this in, in workshops, where I've put out on the table things like little slinkies, little squeeze balls, pipe uh-huh. cleaners, where people can actually manipulate them. And a lot of people really enjoy doing that. That's how they focus um, and learn better if they're doing something with their hands. Yeah, my, my, my client, Ross Jeffries, who runs a series of Persuasion Mastery boot camps, he has squishy balls and rubber balls and beach balls that he has tossed around the room the whole time during the event. And that's the reason why he does it, because it's kinesis, and he understands that people need to do things with their hands and they need to vary their attention in order to profoundly understand the materials being presented to them. Otherwise, they're just reading and rehearsing a bunch of phrases. Exactly. And people who are not kinesthetic learners don't understand it or why it's necessary. They think it's silly or they think I didn't come here to play games. They don't understand that there are other people in the room, that they, that's how they learn. That's how they process better if they have some of these other things going on. So that's a, that's a real learning for a lot of people because there are those that the auditory learners who just want to sit there and listen and listen and listen and don't understand why all this other stuff is necessary. Um, right. And they get a little bit frustrated, um, and that's why it's really important to explain to a group why we're doing this variety, uh, right. why this is important for, for a variety of people in the room. Right. Here's another thing. I want to make an observation, and I want to ask a question that was posed to me by somebody who uh, saw that you were going to be on the Business Creators Radio Show and requested I ask this question. The first observation I want to make, and this uh, for people who go to events to make friends, in other words, to network, to make business connections, I recently attended an event in San Diego that had over 3,000 people in the audience, and most of our listeners can probably guess which one that was. During the breaks... I found it absolutely impossible to make any connections at all because I would go out from the arena room out into the hallway where all the exhibits and all the, you know, the so-called networking area was. And all I saw was this throng of people and I couldn't find a connection if it was sparking right in front of me. I mean, I just felt lost. I felt bewildered and I'm thinking, all right, when's lunch? Because then I get to hang out with people I knew. But after the event was over, um, a good friend of mine threw a party at his condo, which was right nearby, and he invited about 50 of his select friends. And I got more networking, more connections, more friendships, and probably more business out of that three-hour after party than I got out of the entire event. And I mentioned this to him, and he said, yeah, that's why I do it, because there's no way you can make a connection to the 3,000-person events. True yeah, or false? Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I thought yeah. so. I thought so. I agree. It's, it's all about 3,000 is, all, again, all about overwhelm. Right. Too much stimulation, too much coming at you. And when there's that much, you, you tend to shut down because it, you just can't find the, you know, the tree because there's so much forest there, kind of, so to speak. Um, so I agree with a smaller group, you can make those connections. And that's why I definitely prefer smaller groups when it comes to, to learning with, um, because you get 
such a much better learning experience. Right. Right, right. Like, like uh, most of my clients actually limit the size of their events. Uh, they'll keep it down to 40 people or 50 people. And if they even come up a little bit short, you know, as long as most of them paid and as long as they get, get good sales in the back of the room, that's good enough for them because they're going to create an amazing experience for the people in the room using some of the concepts you're sharing with us today. Now, that takes us to the question I got asked. Um, making the proposition, making the pitch – because I don't know anybody, maybe you know people, but I personally don't know anybody who are putting on workshops and events just for the sake of putting on a workshop and event. There is another marketing goal there. There's a, there's a mastermind to be filled, a coaching program to be filled, a larger event with seats to be filled, uh, private coaching opportunities to be booked. I mean, there is a reason why they're collecting people in that room, even if the people are paying to be there. So what have you found to be most effective when it comes to making the upsell opportunity? Uh, you know, the most common one is, in fact, to get people to join your ongoing mastermind program. Yes, that's one way. The other way that, I, that I've been taught by actually a marketing um, coach that I had is called seeding. In other words, throughout the program, um, when you give your examples and you give your uh, stories and anecdotes, you seed them with examples of how you work with people. So a story around, you know, when your clients, when I was coaching one-on-one with Adam, this is what happened or this is what he did. And by doing that throughout as well, people start to understand, hmm, there's a coaching program or this is one way that I can work with this particular person at the front of the room. So however you, whatever you want to upsell at the end, by seeding it throughout, you have a better chance that people are going to be receptive when you get to the end. Does that answer your question, Adam? Yeah, yeah, it uh, it uh, does answer my question very nicely. And this whole thing about seed-based marketing and seed-based copywriting, there, there are two really two phrases that you have brought up that seem to permeate everything we cover on the Business Creators Radio Show that have to do with marketing and persuasion and getting more people to take the actions you want them to take, which is website conversions. Uh, the idea of the pattern interrupt, which we covered a little bit earlier, which is one of my key strategies. In fact, the whole thing about the last thing you need for your last thing you need in your marketing is traffic to your website. That's a major pattern interrupt because the first thing they teach you in marketing school is get traffic to your website. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, so that's a major pattern interrupt there. And then the whole idea of seeding your message, seed-based marketing, making references to things. So if I were leading up to my pitch, uh, say on day three, which is why I made the day three reference earlier, I'm going to be dropping hints throughout the entire event that, uh, you know, I did this with my private coaching client. If that client's in the room, I might even have them say a few words about it. Or I might say, you know, we, or I might, or somebody may ask a question in the room and I say, you know, it's very interesting. We were talking about this in our mastermind just the other day, and here are some of the things we came up with. So I'm going to be dropping hints throughout that, very subtle hints that let people know there is a coaching program, there is a mastermind program, or they may ask a question, I may say, yeah, you know, I created this course a few months ago. It's called da 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 da, and uh, here's and uh, I'll share with you today because you're in the room uh, some of the key points that we covered inside that course. This is just a small piece of it, but this will be helpful. So we're letting people know there's a course available now too. Right, and that's another way of you know kind of creating the fans that want to come back because often, I mean, I know often when we hear about these coaching programs or masterminds and somebody gives an example of something that they accomplished, it's almost like we create a little bit of envy in the audience as well. Well, I want right. some of that 
too. And, and uh, you know, by the time you get to the end and, and offer the upsell, um, they're, they're chomping at the bit. They want it. Right. I will, t- I will tell you this. Everybody I know who is smart, who wants to grow their coaching and mastermind program, everybody who has one, who does live events, will make sure the room is packed with their current satisfied members. They will give them free passes. They will bring them in at ridiculous discounts. They will do whatever they need to do. They will pack the room with their current members because those are the people who are going to evangelize the people who haven't joined the program yet. And that's how they grow their programs. Yep. Create that hunger. Those ra- yeah. those raving fans. Yeah, which, which is very interesting because a lot of times we think, well, we need to do this event. We need to get all new people in there. Now, I want to get your thoughts on this, but my impression of it is – you really want a lot of your old people in there, a lot of your existing people in there, your current members, your current clients, your current customers, people who have already attended this event twice before. Because when you create that layer of social proof, you create a community, you create a movement, and it gives the new people in the room the exposure to all the success they're going to gain when they join the community as well. Definitely, I agree. And the advantage even for those repeat um, clients is that they get to continue to hone their skills because now they're at a different point in their development where they're more accepting or or are ready for some sort of advanced uh, tip or advanced, um, you know, development that they can therefore enhance their skills even further. Right. So they, and they, they can act as, mentors like when we're doing activities where you partner up people or you have small groups you can use them as facilitators for those small groups and uh, they can help they can um not only you know shine in terms of using the expertise that they've learned but then people get a close up of some of those people and and start to be able to ask questions or just start to see the development that's possible for them too that's absolutely brilliant. That That's great. And, and see, this is another place where we're thinking differently. We're zigging where everybody else is zagging. I'm telling people, don't get traffic to your website. It's the last thing you need. And here we are saying that when you're looking to fill your events, it's not necessarily strictly about getting lots of new bodies in there so you can get a lot of new clients. You also have to think about that that room should be stocked. That room should be populated by people who already have a sense of belonging to your community because in addition to having all the success stories, all the anecdotes, all the conversations over dinner uh, where they're going to be praising you and your programs, it's going to let the people who have not yet made their decision to join know that they're not just signing up for another coaching program or they're third mastermind they belong to this year but they're joining something special yeah and they can you know question the 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 those clients those current clients and see how special right right yeah absolutely absolutely so we have uh, just a few minutes left here and this has been a very very fast-paced very exciting time together we may have to have you back again because i'm sure we pretty much just scratched the surface here and there's so much more you have to offer um uh, we have about uh, one minute for just one more question here and then uh, i want to give you the floor for a couple minutes before our hour is up so what i want to do is uh, do you real quickly have any uh like a success story or two of your work with clients that our listeners may be able to learn from absolutely um 
I have a number of success stories, and they're with both beginners and with experienced speakers because both benefit from the work that I do with them. Um, I've got one fellow who who sent me an email and said, I'd like to thank you. My presentations now have that wow effect and have people handing me their business cards. The this uh, this fellow Rick, and obviously that's what he wanted, right? I mean, he wanted the opportunity right. to to engage people so that they wanted to come up to him and say, "Okay, here's my business card. Give me a call. We need to talk." Um, I've also had great success with experienced people who are looking to uh, add something that engages the group. Um, here's a couple of examples. I've got one, um, Barbara Kozem. She's actually an amazing speaker. She's won Toastmaster Awards, mm-hmm. and she's the author of Bad Customer Service and Strategies That Turn It Around. And she said, I was struggling with my presentation. Um, you were able to give me a structure with specific exercises that I could use to get my audience engaged. I'm proud to say that because of your suggestions, my presentation was a hit, and my customer has asked me to come back next month. Um, so, you know, people want to be engaged. I've got one more that I can share with you. Um, Isabel Hunt, she's a, a coach, and she's, this was really interesting. She also teaches at a, at a local college, and she said, just our one session has already made a huge difference in my workshops. What our conversation brought up for me is that during the whole agenda I had prepared, I was focused on trying to perform and prove that I'm knowledgeable. But after your feedback, I realized that this would have created a disconnect with the people sitting there because it wouldn't have been authentic. Once I acknowledged that, I was able to truly lead the workshop from my essence. It was very powerful. I had amazing participation and feedback at the end, and the results were a potential client and two potential consulting gigs. So, I mean, all of these people have understood the value of engaging the audience, and they've had terrific results as a result of it. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And thank you, Ida, for sharing those with us. So uh, first of all, for everybody uh, who's tuned in a little bit late or is just getting on board with us, uh, we've had on board with us Ida Schessel, the go-to expert in the design and delivery of workshops and talks, creator of Rock the Room programs. And Ida, first of all, let me thank you so much for uh, taking a few minutes out of your time to spend with us here at the Business Creators Radio Show. Well, thank you for inviting me and for creating such a great group of experts to uh, to share with uh, your listeners. Great, great, great. Now, we have just about one minute left here, so what I'd like to do is just turn the floor over to you and share with our listeners how who are on the edge of their seat wanting more information on this, how they can get it. Absolutely. Well, thank you. Yes, people can sign up. I'd like to give them a gift. Uh, people can right. sign up for a free uh, report and quiz. The quiz kind of helps them understand whether they're ready to give great workshops and pinpoints a few things that, that might be missing, and the report explains a little more uh, about what those mistakes might be that, uh, that they're making. And uh, they can go to www.deadlyworkshopmistakes.com uh-huh. to sign up for that free report and quiz. And once they get the, the quiz and report, they'll also be on the list to get weekly workshop tips. And those will come into their email box every week, uh, tips that are practical and that they can use and apply right away. 
Great, great. Well, Ida, once again, thank you so much for joining us here at Business Creators Radio Show. And for everybody listening, please check out the link she gave you, which is deadlyworkshopmistakes.com. For everybody listening, this is Adam Homey, host of Business Creators Radio Show. Please check out our previous and our upcoming episodes at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com and also subscribe to our iTunes channel, where we help more business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.